Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome back to the Run for God Run Club and this very special episode of the Top 10 Dean's Thoughts of 2023. I thought it would be a good idea to put together a top 10 Dean's Thoughts from 2023. I love top 10 lists and this one, uh, this was such a great opportunity to share my favorite of the stories that I have written over this year. Of course, it's difficult to remember all the things you did over the last year, uh, especially as I get older. But it was fun reliving these stories. So I hope that you enjoy my top 10 list of my favorite stories of 2023. Drum roll, please. The number one Dean's Thoughts of the Year. According to Dean, you may have a different one, but this one is the million dollar question. It was shared in episode number 179, and it's just a simple question that you can ask yourself anytime you think you can't do something. Quite frankly, it could completely change your perspective on what you think you can do. All you have to do is ask the million dollar question. Well, I think this is interesting and can lead to some interesting conversations. The story for this week is not one that I really wrote. It's one that I gave the parameters for. Nobody wrote it. And yeah, and it was written by AI artificial intelligence i basically said i want a story that that uh, combines running and faith or love of running and faith i can't remember exactly how i put it um, but boom it took all of two seconds for a story to come out and uh this now it didn't have a title when it came out it just had a story so i made up the title uh, but the rest of it was written by ai so this is called a Christian Running Fable. Once upon a time in a small village nestled in the midst of a vast forest, there lived a young boy named Jacob who loved to run. He ran every day, and his running became as natural to him as breathing. He ran for the sheer joy of it and felt a sense of freedom and fulfillment with each stride. Jacob was also a devout Christian who attended church every Sunday and read the Bible frequently. He believed that God had blessed him with the gift of running and felt that his faith and his sport were intertwined. One day, Jacob heard of a great race being held across the forest, and he knew he had to participate. It was a race like no other, with treacherous terrain and obstacles that would test the endurance of even the strongest runners. But Jacob was undeterred. He saw it as an opportunity to test his limits and to glorify God through his running. As the day of the race arrived, Jacob felt confident, but also nervous. He knelt down and prayed for strength and guidance. He knew that the biggest hurdle he would face would not be the obstacles on the course, but the voice of doubt that whispered in his mind, telling him that he couldn't do it. But Jacob was determined. He started the race with a steady pace, knowing that he needed to conserve his energy for the difficult parts of the course. As he ran, he felt the presence of God within him, giving him strength and encouragement. The race was grueling. Jacob had had to jump over boulders, crawl through dark tunnels, and scale steep hills. But with each obstacle, he called upon his faith and his love for running to power him through. 
At last, Jacob saw the finish line in the distance. He ran as fast as his legs could carry him, feeling a sense of exhilaration and joy that he had never experienced before. As he crossed the line, he felt his his knees, tears of gratitude. He fell to his knees, tears of gratitude streaming down his face. Jacob realized that his faith and his sport were not two separate things, but one beautiful expression of his love for God. He had glorified God in his running, and now he knew that he could rise to any challenge with the strength that came from his faith. From that day on, Jacob continued to run and to compete, knowing that each race was a chance to honor God with his talents and his passion. He inspired others with his story, showing them that the power of sports and the power of faith can come together to bring joy, fulfillment, and purpose to our lives. (laughs) Written by AI Chat. So, uh... Yeah, what do you think? I like it, and I don't like it. Yeah. My number two story of the year is a story called Blessings Disguised as Irritations. It comes from the most downloaded episode of the year, and that is episode number 169. You know, there are things that can get on my nerves, right? We all have those things, right? How should we look at those things? Well, God straightened me out on one of those things through this story, and it had a huge impact on how I look at other things today. And if you're a walker, or if you're thinking about becoming a walker, this one is for you. It's called Try Walking. I love to watch a cheetah run. They're so graceful and fast. But not everything is better when it's done faster. Have you ever eaten meat after it's cooked on a smoker? You can't rush that. How about reacting to the crazy things your kids do? (laughs) Yeah, a slower reaction is almost always better. How about driving when there's a police cruiser around the corner with a speed checker? (laughs) Don't you immediately hit the brakes to slow down even when you're going the speed limit? There are definitely things that are better when they're done slower. For many people, walking is better than running. I know that's a crazy thing to hear from the running guy, but it's true. My goal is to be as fast as I can be, but that's not the goal for everyone. And the truth is that I could get the same health benefits if I were to slow down and run at a more comfortable pace. I could even slow down to a walk and maintain most of the benefits I get from my running. If you're not concerned about being faster and you suffer from running-related injuries when you try to run, maybe you should become a walker. Or maybe... You just like the peace and tranquility that walking provides. While I think it is good for all of us to challenge ourselves, there are many levels of challenges. For many people, walking provides just enough difficulty and discipline to advance fitness goals. My wife, Debbie, makes sure she gets in at least 10,000 steps every day. It doesn't matter if it takes walking up and down the hallway to do it. She will get her steps in every day. Her lungs won't let her run anymore, so she walks. And walking is better for her than running. Uh, She could do nothing, but I'm pretty sure that she would tell you that is not an option. Yes. Maybe you're in that boat. Maybe you want to run, but there's something that makes it nearly impossible to do. I love to see people run, but maybe walking is what you need. And think about this. Have you ever heard the term, 
you you have to learn to walk before you run. Well, maybe a year of consistent walking will get your body to a point that it can handle running better than it can today. But I can hear you. Walking is not as good as running. While there are a couple of fitness measurements that are better when you run, at least 80 to 90% of the health benefits you get from running are retained when you slow down and walk. And you're far less likely to be injured. In addition, here's a dirty little truth about walking. You can do it at a pretty high intensity. Many people can get their heart rate up as high as a runner by walking with a purpose. What do I mean by that? I notice that some walkers look like they're out for a stroll through a garden. They're clearly not working as hard as they could be. When you walk, do it like you're trying to get away from someone. Make sure your heart rate is elevated. While you may still be able to hold a conversation while you do it, you should struggle a little to get your breath. Walk like you stole something. (laughs) While you're at it, we can apply the same principle to our Bible study. I can remember reading through the Bible and, at times, forgetting what I just read. Why? Well, I'm so focused on getting fast and getting through the entire Bible that I'm just doing it to check off the day's reading. In that case, I'd be much better off slowing down and soaking in the words on the page. Don't get me wrong. I think there's value in reading the entire Bible, but there is even more value in digging into Scripture deeply. You can only realize the richness of the text when you slow down and contemplate it. In America, we put a high value on going fast. We often seem to believe that volume is more important than quality. You may hear a runner say that she runs 35 miles a week and think that sounds impressive. But there are not enough hours in the day to get those miles in unless you run fast enough to get them done. Just like we get more out of our Bible study when we slow down and read the words closely, for many, we will enjoy the activity more if we just slowed down and walked. If you're worried about the stigma of people, if you're worried about the stigma of walking versus running, remember that Jesus didn't worry about what people said about him. If walking is what gets you out the door and makes you enjoy the activity, then do it. Yes, absolutely. That's right, Dean. All right. Coming in at number three of my favorite stories is a story called The Pinky Principle. It comes from episode number 167. And, you know, sometimes we feel overwhelmed by what we have to do. Well, The Pinky Principle can help with those times when you just don't think you can do it. You don't think you can get up and do one more thing. The Pinky Principle applies, and sometimes it's all you need to get motivated to go out and do it. Have you ever shaken hands with a bricklayer? If you have, you have probably found hard, calloused hands. If you work with your hands for a living, chances are you have tough, strong, maybe even calloused hands. When you start running or walking, you may notice your feet become tougher the more you do it. Over time, you find your feet are able to handle more abuse and they may even become somewhat calloused. But there is something else that needs to be calloused in your running or or walking journey. When we think about forming a hard shell that can withstand the beating you're going to administer, we think about body parts that need to be made tougher. But have you ever thought about purposefully forming calluses on your mind? If you want to be successful, it can be critical. As a matter of fact, it may even be more important than your feet. How do you get calloused hands or feet? By working hard, right? And what does that mean? It means subjecting yourself to the thing that you're trying to become calloused to. 
If you want to be able to lay bricks for hours at a time, you'll need to lay enough bricks to callous your hands enough to handle it. If you want to run a 100-mile ultra marathon, you'll need to do enough running that your feet are tough enough to handle it. If you want to be tough enough to push as far as you can go, you need to push your body regularly past the point of being comfortable, for sure. But you also need to subject your mind to repeated bouts of discomfort and purposeful abuse. I've seen many cross-country and track runners who think they can lay back at practice, do the bare minimum, and then turn it on when when race day comes. It doesn't work that way. The athlete will never realize his full potential because he is not training his brain. If that runner doesn't push themselves on those days when it's not easy, they are never going to be able to go deep into the pain cave when race day comes. If you're not a competitive athlete, maybe you think this is not for you, but it is. If you give up and stay home every time you don't feel like going for a run or walk because you're tired, for example, you're missing an opportunity to put some calluses on your mind. Those calluses can help you in many areas of life, too, not just in your fitness journey. Maybe you can begin to look at those times when it's hard to fit your workout in as opportunities to train your brain, to put calluses on those tender areas that need toughening up. How could we all change if we could if we looked at those times as opportunities instead of looking at them with dread? Have you ever seen an athlete psyching himself up by beating his chest or grunting boldly? Wouldn't it be great if we looked at opportunities to work on our mind mind game the same way? The next time you're tempted to skip the run, just beat your chest and resolve that the run is not going to beat you. We can always look back on those times when we conquered the temptation to give up and realize how helpful it was, right? And we can look back at the tough times in our lives and realize that God had plans for those and those plans sometimes included tough things. But those tough things make us better. When we look back on them, we can see it. But what if we began looking at those tough circumstances as opportunities to beat our chest and say, I'm not going to let these circumstances overwhelm me. It could be life changing, quite literally. So the next time you're tempted to give in to weakness, weaknesses, take the opportunity to callous your mind. And the next time you're going through something tough, realize the calluses you're building up are going to benefit you for the rest of your life. My number four story from this year is in episode number 180. It was called Rules Are Rules. You know, almost everybody has played the game of Monopoly, but there is a rule in Monopoly that I had never heard of. And I've been playing this game since I was a kid. And this rule, well, it's a real thing. I looked it up. (laughs) I began to think about what else I don't know about. I remember when the New York Giants beat the undefeated New England Patriots in the 2007 Super Bowl. It was a huge upset. The Patriots were destined to be the second team in the modern era of the NFL to finish an undefeated season, until they weren't. In 1983, uh, in the 1983 NCAA Basketball Championship, the highly overmatched North Carolina State Wolfpack pulled off a stunner when they beat the highly favored Georgetown Hoyas. It was a miracle that NC State made it to the championship game, but they pulled one of the biggest upsets in history. 
No one over the age of 60 will ever forget the miracle on ice. The amateur United States team was no match for the mighty professional Soviet Union hockey team in the 1980 Olympic Games. It was such a big upset that everyone forgets that it wasn't even a championship game. The U.S. team beat Finland for the gold medal the next day. It was assumed that the Soviet Union would win the gold medal. When Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson by knocking him out in the 10th round of a heavyweight boxing match, it was a shock. It was difficult for the best fighters to to last one round with Mike Tyson, and Buster Douglas was a journeyman. He didn't have a chance. Apparently, no one told him that before the match. We've had upsets in track and field, too. When Billy Mills won the 10,000-meter run in the 1964 Olympics, he wasn't even the best runner on his own team, let alone the world. But he has a gold medal to prove he won that race. If you've never heard the commentary on that final lap of that race, you need to find it. It's just spectacular. What do all of these teams and individuals have in common? They all came out of nowhere to win suddenly. People who were never considered the best suddenly were the best. In the blink of an eye, the trajectory of their lives changed, or at least that's the story everyone likes to tell. The truth is that all these teams and individuals have another thing in common. All of them worked incredibly hard for a long time to prepare for what happened suddenly. There was a lot of practice time for the New York Giants and the North Carolina State Wolfpack. Buster Douglas had whipped himself into the best shape of his life just in time for the biggest boxing match of his career. He did it through many long hours on the heavy bag and speed bag, and that was after getting up early in the morning to run a few miles. Billy Mills put in thousands of miles that led up to the 10 kilometers that netted him a gold medal. I bet none of them were surprised. You see, every one of them worked for years to get to that point. There is no such thing as suddenly. Have you ever seen someone lose 50 pounds overnight? Of course not. It takes time to do that, and it takes time to win championships. I'm I'm sure while these teams and individuals were working hard, they questioned themselves. I'm positive they had days when it was tough to go to practice or to run those miles, but they did it, and suddenly they were the best. We can apply the the same thought to our training. Your goal may not be winning a gold medal in the Olympics, but you have a goal. And the goal, more than likely, will require a lot of hours and a lot of sweat. But any good goal is hard to reach. I've run every day for the past six plus years. If I announced a goal that I want to run every day next week, that wouldn't be a very good goal. I have already run every day for the past 2,300 plus days. What's another seven? Now, to reach a goal of 10 years requires time, sweat, and a lot of days of getting out the door when I don't feel like it. That's right. Just because I have run every day for the past six years doesn't mean it's easy for me. Quite the contrary. But one day, I will have suddenly run every day for 5,000 consecutive days. One day, I'll be at 4,999 and the next 5,000. But there will be a lot of work that went into that day, a day that would not be possible without the first 4,999 days. So what kind of goal have you set? Does it feel out of reach? Does it feel crazy tough? Do you doubt your ability to reach it? Good. And it's probably a good goal. 
Let it drive you every day. I can't imagine not running a day at this point, even when it's tough. That's where you want to be, on a path you have to follow. How hard do you think it was for Jesus to follow through on God's plan for him? He was sent for a purpose, and that purpose included being tortured and dying. It was so difficult that Luke twenty two forty four tells us that he was praying in the garden. As he was praying in the garden, knowing what was about to happen to him, his sweat became like drops of blood. Such was his apprehension. We don't talk about the crucifixion this way, but Jesus had a goal to die for our sins on the cross. It was exceedingly difficult to follow through on that plan, but he did it, and the world has never been the same. My world has changed by what he did. I hope yours has been changed too. If not, please go to runforgod.com forward slash peace with God or find the peace with God tab on the bottom of your homepage and find out how that incredible act can change your life too. Anytime you see someone come out of nowhere and suddenly do something great, don't believe it. All Cinderella stories have a large quantity of sweat in their formulas. And yours will too. But you must follow through on the commitments to each step of the process. Then when someone says to you, wow, I can't believe you ran a marathon. It seems like only yesterday you got started. You'll know that suddenly finishing that marathon required a lot of work. And it was all worth it. My number five story of the year is this, a guided lesson on the river. It was shared in episode number 184. I had gone on a rafting trip and I learned something profound from that long time river rat, as they call them, those guys that are guides on the river in those, in those river rats, or river rafts. <laughs> and this is what I learned from that day. I will remember the 2023 NAIA Indoor Nationals for several reasons, but one of them has nothing to do with the track meet itself. Have you ever had one of those days when, where one after another things seemed to go haywire? We had one of those days on the way home from South Dakota. When we arrived at the airport, everything looked fine. The status screens told us that our flight was on time and that we would get back into Chattanooga by 7.30 p.m. That would be enough time to spend a couple hours with my wife and our pets before going to bed for a full night's rest to begin a new week the next day. But as the time for boarding approached, the plane was was late, just uh, pulling into the gate. And that meant that we would be a little late as they took time to deplane and clean up the aircraft. We had a connecting flight in Dallas-Fort Worth, the second busiest airport in the world. The schedule called for exactly one hour between flights. The footprint of that airport was very large, and I began to hope that our arrival gate and departure gate were close together. I sat down in my seat 15 minutes after takeoff time. It looked like we would be about 30 minutes late. That would cut it close, but we could still make it if the gates were close together. If they weren't, We still had a chance because there was a reasonable chance the second flight would be delayed too. A late departure would give us the time we needed. But then we just sat there at the gate. I don't know why, but we just sat there for another 15 minutes. Now it was getting uncomfortably close. As we began to taxi out toward the runway, I thought, they can often make up 10 or 15 minutes in the air on a two-hour flight. Hopefully, we would still be okay. But then the plane stopped, and we just sat there. 
getting uncomfortable as it seemed the air conditioning was not working. It was a far cry from the single-digit temperatures we had experienced in the past few days. We sat for another 15 minutes. Then I looked outside the window as they began to de-ice the wings. Another 15 minutes go by. Our chances were down to zero if the plane to Chattanooga was on time. But maybe it would be late. The thing is, we didn't have a choice. I made the decision to just relax and be patient. Not a small accomplishment for me. We finally took off over over an hour after we were scheduled to take off. I sat back, got a little work done, and just prayed that God would see, see us to our final destination. I tried in vain during the flight to pull up information on our connecting flight, but I had terrible difficulty with the airline app. Two restarts of my phone didn't help much either. Towards the end of the flight, a flight attendant came by to see if anyone had questions. I told him our situation. He tapped on his device and said, Thompson? I said, yes, sir. He said, you have already been rescheduled on another flight. Our new departure time would be a little over four hours later than our original flight. I thanked God that there was space on the same day flight and sat back and finished our flight knowing that we would have to hang out at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport for a few hours. I had the opportunity to work on my patience a little more. We found a great place to share a meal and some laughs in that airport. If we were going to be delayed, we could make the most of it. And we did. The plane took off on time and landed on time in Chattanooga. But when we pulled up to the gate, we had to sit behind another aircraft who was waiting for the ground crew to attend to their arrival. I only thought our delays were over. We sat for another 15 minutes, waiting for the crew to finish the other plane. Finally, we pulled up to the gate, and then we sat there a little bit longer. It seemed that there was no agent at the gate, so we had to wait for one to arrive. At this point, I began to laugh out loud at the absurdity of it all. How and and I did I happen to mention that the very and the very <laughs> did I happen to mention that I was sitting in the very last row by the window, so I was the last person off the plane. More waiting, more opportunity to practice my patience. We went down to baggage the baggage claim area to collect our bags and waited. As the bags came out, the crowd dwindled as each of the waiting passengers collected their bags and left. The two ladies I was traveling with collected their bag, and I told them to go ahead and go on home. One of them had class in the morning, and it was after midnight at this point, and I waited. I went to the source of the conveyor to get my bag as soon as it came out, and then I approached. I was approached by an airport worker. Are you looking for a bag? What does it look like? I said, it's a black backpack with tripods attached. He said he had it in the back and he would go retrieve it. As he went out the door, I looked around. It was just me and a guy working at one of the car rental places left in the building. (laughs) More practice. He brought my bag and what do you know, it was the right one. I took it and started to leave. Then I noticed that something was missing, but he had gone out the door. I went to the door and it would not open. I banged on it. And there was no answer. After a long day, I still didn't have all I needed. At that point, I had no idea how to get back to the baggage claim workers. I just had to leave. More practice. But boy, was I happy to be home. This day wasn't the best day I've ever had, but it was far from the worst, too. Why? Because I didn't stress over the things I couldn't control. The truth is that I may have had a heart attack 10 years ago. God has really worked on my patience. But there is a running walk or walking lesson to learn here. 
I see many people who are always just looking forward to getting the run or the walk done. They're so focused on checking the task off the checklist that they dread the activity itself. On our trip home, I made the decision that I was traveling in good company and I would enjoy the experience no matter what it was. We laughed really hard at times. We had fun despite the circumstances. Ten years ago, I could not have enjoyed it because I would have been consumed with things I couldn't even control. Don't allow yourself to get wound up about the run you have you have to fit into your day. It may not be convenient. You may not feel well. You may be rushed to fit it in between two other things. But that's okay. You can't control time. And take it from me, when you try, it never ends well. No matter how hard it is, allow yourself to enjoy your journey. For me, a trip that would have been miserable a few years ago was downright enjoyable journey today because I have realized I can't control everything around me. Charles Swindoll once said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. I have learned the depth, the deep truth of that saying over the past decade. And the bottom line is that God is in control. God created time. He's not surprised by anything that's going on, but I'm convinced he is interested in seeing how we react to our lack of control over circumstances and time. He wants us to rely on him, and sometimes we're forced to decide if we're going to rely on God or we're going to get impatient about something we can't even control. Whether you're thinking, whether you, you're th- Whether you're thinking about running or anything else, try not to be so focused on the destination that you forget to enjoy the journey. Be patient, especially when you have no control over events happening around you. And I have found that focusing on God in those moments when tension rises can be so sweet because he will often show us a different angle. What else explains the fact that I was laughing about something today that would have tied me in knots just a decade ago? It is all God. That's what happens when we focus on him instead of the things we can't control. Coming in at number six is a story called Patience is a Virtue. It was shared way back in episode number 157. And, you know, I'm an incredibly impatient person. But one day, uncharacteristically, I was patient. And this story shares that particular day, and you can see why uh, it was a challenge for me, but also it was a great victory for me at the same time. And you'll see why as I share patience is a virtue. I went on a rafting trip recently with a group from our church. We traveled to the put-in area with a full busload of rafters. We had nine boats in our flotilla. Each boat had a different guide. As soon as we disembarked from the bus and staged our boats near the start, each of the guides took time to tell their riders the rules and instructions for the ride. I saw other groups in their boats practicing their strokes and their many commands. We never got in the boat. Our guide was finished with his instructions in about two minutes, while the others went on for ten. Guess which boat finished first? We did. Our guide gave us three commands, forward, back, and stop. That was it. All the other guides were practicing two strokes at a time, leaning in their boats and all manner of moves meant to get them down the river together. Those other guides did a lot of things our guide eschewed. But our guide had something the others didn't have, experience. 
You see, our guide had 38 years of experience on the Okoe River. And what he had learned was that there were a few things that mattered, and as long as you kept it simple, everything would go great. And it did. And we did a couple of things I'd never done before on our trip. I noticed the other boats didn't do those things. Our guide had boiled things down to the simplest terms. Running is simple. Walking is simple. But we tend to make it complicated. I don't know why the young guides thought it was a good idea to over-explain and complicate things, but it may have been that they want to feel like what they're doing is more complex than it is. We do the same thing with our running. We worry about having the perfect diet before every run. We worry about the shoes we wear, the clothes we wear, the watch, the exact pace we run, and whether or not we've had enough water to drink. It's not bad to worry about those things, but we must keep them secondary to the main task. Here's a novel idea. Just run. That's it. Stop making it so complicated. I feel like I'm a lot like our river guide. I have many years of experience, and I've boiled it down to a simple formula. Run lots of miles at different speeds and distances, fuel well, including hydration, and get some rest. That's it. It's that simple. I have always said a good running plan can be as simple as this. Run hard twice a week, long once a week, and fill in easy runs around those two or three days. It's a little more complicated, but I think everything else is icing on the cake. If you get the cake right, you'll be pretty happy. Our faith is very similar. We are sinners. Jesus died for the payment of those sins. If we believe that and accept him as our Lord and Savior, we will spend eternity with him. That's pretty simple. But just like running is hard, even though it is simple, it is not always easy to live a faith-filled Christian life. But if you keep the basics in front of your mind, the other things will fall in place. We had some tense moments going through some of those class four rapids. I nearly fell out of the boat twice. It wasn't the easiest thing I've ever done, but it was fun. Why? Our guide made things simple enough that we could focus on what was important. In our running, we should focus on getting these workouts in and not worry about all the other things that can complicate our running journey. And of course, if we simply focus on modeling Jesus' behavior, it may not always be easy, but it will be worth it. My number seven Dean's Thoughts for the year is a story called Suddenly. It was shared back in episode number 168. You know, when you see a Cinderella story, you often look at that and you go, man, they came out of nowhere. And that's usually the way we describe it, right? But this story is much deeper than that. This talks about the work that goes behind those Cinderella stories. Nearly everyone in the United States has played the game of Monopoly. But do you know the rules of the game? For example, what happens if you land on a property that is not yet owned? Well, here is what the rule states. Whenever you land on an unowned property, you may buy that property from the bank at its printed price. You receive the title deed card showing ownership. Place it face up in front of you. If you do not wish to buy the property, the banker sells it at auction to the highest bidder. The buyer pays the bank the amount of the bid in cash and receives the title deed card for that property. Any player, including the one who declined the option to buy it at the printed price, may bid. Bidding may start at any price. That's a game changer. (laughs) I've never known that. 
Did you catch that? If you choose not to buy the property, it goes to auction. I recently saw this rule applied as a player declined to buy the property and then bought it back from the bank for a dollar before anyone else knew what was going on. I have to confess, I didn't know this was a rule, and I suspect many people do not know a basic rule to one of the most popular games of all time. How in the world did that happen? There are many things hiding in plain sight in the world. Some of those things are in the form of solutions to issues. If you have a chronically tight hamstring, there's probably a solution out there. You just have to find it. I tried a dozen different solutions for plantar fasciitis before I found one that worked. So sometimes you have to hunt relentlessly to find a solution to your problem. But there is probably one out there. My wife Debbie and I were recently on a trip to the Mayo Clinic. She has had issues for a long time and we know the answer is probably out there somewhere. We just haven't found it yet. While we were in the doctor's office, she shared a shocking thought with us. Debbie has had asthma her entire life, but the doctor looked us in the eye and said, it's just a theory and I could be wrong, but I'm not sure you have asthma. <laughs> there, there could have been a nuclear explosion and I'm not sure we would have noticed in that moment. Sometimes it's easy to find solutions to problems. I can't count the number of times I have Googled the solution to a problem. It may take a few tries, but I usually find the answer I'm looking for. But sometimes the problems require more diligence. In Debbie's case, it has been over a decade. Solutions to your running problems are often easy to find, but sometimes they require you to keep searching. When that happens, it can be frustrating for sure. I like to reframe it as a challenge. It is much easier to search for a solutions when you look at it that way. There have always been controversies in churches over issues that are not addressed in the Bible. A good example is music. Although the Bible talks about music, there is no single genre of music we are directed to use for worship. There are some who believe that using drums, for example, is not appropriate in church. But the Bible only gives us one direction. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Are you singing the music with thankfulness in your heart to God? Are the songs honoring God? Well, then you're okay. The solution was there the entire time. If you're trying to find answers to your questions or issues, it may be right there in front of you. It may take some Googling to find it. It may even take time to get to the ultimate solution. But chances are, there is a solution out there. Go find it. You may be surprised to learn that it has been in the rules the entire time. Coming in at number eight on this list is a more recent episode called Good Calluses. You know, I, <laughs> we think of calluses often as a bad thing, right? But I think calluses can be a good thing as I share in this story. Now that's both physical and mental calluses and this story talks about that. Most manufacturing processes today involve an assembly line of some sort. Look around you right now. Chances are more than half the man-made objects you can see are made on an assembly line. And of course, we all know that Henry Ford, the founder of Ford Motor Corporation, was the inventor of the assembly line. 
There are not many original thoughts these days. Coming up with something no one else has ever thought about is difficult. After all, how do you think about something that doesn't exist? Can you imagine a color you've never seen? No, you can't. It's impossible. So how did guys like Henry Ford come up with these ideas that no one had ever thought before? Well, the truth is that the assembly line was not really an original thought. While it is true that Henry Ford's Highland Park plant that opened on December 1st, 1913, was the first to use an assembly line, it turns out he got the idea from somewhere else. Ford made his first automobile in 1896, and the first Model T wasn't made until 1908. It was his goal to make an automobile that everyone could afford, so he needed to make them as efficiently as possible to cut costs. He visited many other businesses in an effort to figure out how to make his Model T more affordable. He took a little something from many other businesses, but there was one business in particular that inspired him in a big way. The business, believe it or not, was slaughterhouses. The House of Swift, as it is commonly called, processed 2 million cattle, 4 million hogs, and 2 million sheep per year at the height of its operation. They used what was essentially a disassembly line to cut the various pieces from the animal as it traveled down the line. Henry Ford reasoned that he could use a very similar process to do the opposite and the assembly line was created. Today, the assembly line is probably just as important to society as computers. The impact it has had on the world is immeasurable. Sometimes our inspiration comes from places we'd never expect. If you're struggling, look around and see what's around you. For example, I was listening to a podcast recently where the host talked about a pinky trick. And here's how it works. For many of us, our highest obstacle is the first step. Once we get off the couch and take the first step, we're good. It's just that first step that's so tough. So just think about moving your pinky finger. That's not so hard. Now, move your arm. Keep going until you're turning on your GPS watch and stepping out the door to run. The podcast had absolutely nothing to do with running, but it could help my running the next time I'm having difficulty getting out the door. Is there something around you that has the potential to inspire you to do something different that could be a game changer for you? I'd say there's a good chance it's there, but you have to notice it as it goes by. Use the things around you to get better. God put those things around you for a reason. David used a skill he had developed as a shepherd to defeat defeat Goliath. In that day, a shepherd was about as far away from a warrior as a slaughterhouse is from a car manufacturer. It's about as different as moving your pinky finger is from running five miles, but it was useful. David also found inspiration for his faith in writing songs, otherwise known as psalms. He was a musician, so it made sense. I find inspiration for my faith, writing down my thoughts and sharing them with other runners. I'm a runner, so that makes sense. Is there something you love to do that can inspire your faith? I'll never forget the first time I heard about a group of women who loved to sew. They would meet every week and do some sewing and some Bible study. I'll bet there's something out there for you just waiting to be discovered. Where can you find unexpected inspiration? It may be in your favorite television program, a friendly conversation, your hobby, or you may find it in the Bible. Well, how do you find it? Well, you start by moving your pinky finger. (laughs) That's a great one, Dean. 
At number nine, I love this story. It's called Try Walking. Again, way back in episode number 153 at the beginning of the year, you know, we put too much pressure on ourselves sometimes. And, and, you know, some people kind of know who they are and they just say, hey, I just want to walk. But some people try to force themselves to run. Now, sometimes that's a good thing, but sometimes it's not a good thing. And sometimes we just need to walk. Sometimes it's just taking a break in the middle of a run. But sometimes we just need to walk and just walk, right? And uh, and not feel like we're less than when we do that. So this one is called Try Walking. Part of my responsibilities at our church is to make sure some of the technical things are taken or are, are squared away. We broadcast live every Sunday morning on Facebook. We also coordinate presentation screens during the service in addition to running the soundboard and making sure the lighting is adequate. I just have to ensure the production goes off without a hitch. As hard as I have tried, I have not figured out how to get the microphones to change their own batteries, though. (laughs) Not long ago, a few minutes after our pastor began preaching, I heard a baby in the congregation pitching a fit. You've probably heard it yourself at one time or another. My initial reaction was that I had not included a crying baby in my plans for the service production. If I'm being completely truthful... I was a little irritated. Then I was overjoyed. You see, three years ago, we had no babies in our service at all. As a matter of fact, we had two teenagers and no children in most services. All of a sudden, the crying baby was music to my ears. Nowadays, our church has more young people on Wednesday night than adults. It's a great problem to have. It reminded me how lucky we are to be runners or walkers. Sure, some days are really tough. Some days it's incredibly difficult to get out the door. Sometimes my energy level just doesn't seem to be enough to get me through a six-mile run. But then I think about how lucky I am to be in the shape I'm in. I'm so fortunate to be able to even think about running those miles. It really is a matter of perspective. The next time you find it difficult to get out the door, think about how you would feel if you couldn't run or walk at all. The next time you're too tired, think about the people who suffer from debilitating diseases who wish they could even think about going for a walk. We really are fortunate. These days, it's, these days, it's tough to be a Christian. I've heard more people denigrate our faith in the last two years than I had for the first 55 years of my life. It can be discouraging for sure. But 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Bible clearly tells us that we will be persecuted here on earth. But much more importantly, Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 4.7-12, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake." that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul was persecuted far more than any of us ever will be. 
But it was through that persecution that Paul was able to show the strength of his relationship with Jesus Christ. When we suffer for the cause of Christ, it's a privilege. Maybe we should look at our exercise the same way. It is often when we get out the door, when it is the toughest, that makes us the fittest. Overcoming the urge to give in always feels great. Remember that the next time you find it difficult to get out the door. Just like my mind was changed in a flash when I put the crying baby in perspective, you can change the way you look at those tough days. Think about how fortunate you are instead of how hard it is. And the next time you hear someone question your faith, take a deep breath. Realize that Paul showed us how to handle it gracefully and count it as a privilege because it is. Coming in at number 10 is called A Christian Running Fable. I shared this story way back in episode number 158. It was an AI-generated story. If you don't know what AI is, it is artificial intelligence. So I promise this is the only artificial intelligence story I've ever shared. Um, but I asked an, an AI generator to write me a Christian-based story about running, and this is what came out. I have crashed and burned in more than one marathon. I can remember feeling so bad I wondered if I could even make it to the finish line. Of course, I did. But at mile 22, I really felt like I might not make it. After my first open water swim, I had real doubts as to whether I could cover the 2.4 miles I would have to swim in my upcoming Ironman triathlon. At that point, I had never been in a pool for more than 45 minutes, and that first open water experience was harrowing enough for me to doubt my ability to be in the ocean for over an hour. Both the triathlon and the marathon experiences were mentally tough thoughts in my head that I had to conquer if I was going to get to the corresponding finish lines. Since then, I have developed what I think is a foolproof way to feel more positive about my ability to do those difficult things. Now I can just ask the million dollar question. I'm going to share the when the million dollar question with you and you're going to think, why didn't I think of that? It is so simple yet so powerful. If you are one who doubts yourself regularly, this million dollar question could change your life if you let it. So what's the million dollar question? Well, I've already given it away, but if you didn't catch it, here it is. If you're unsure if you can accomplish a thing, ask yourself this question, could I do it for a million dollars? Now, you're either hearing the most profound question you've ever heard, or you need more explanation to understand why this question is so powerful. You see, for most of us, a million dollars would change your life. I know money isn't everything. I completely agree with that statement. If I didn't, I wouldn't be working for a nonprofit organization. But a million dollars would fundamentally change my life. That's just a fact. Even if I took that million dollars and used it to fortify the very ministry I work for, it would have a huge impact. Of course, if you're in debt, how life-changing would it be to pay off all your debt? I could go on and on, but you get the point. When you take a few minutes to think about it, a million dollars would fundamentally change your life. Now, let's go back to that thing you're not sure you can do. If there were truly something in front of you that would fundamentally change your life, do you think you could do it? 
The answer to that question tells you all you need to know. If you have been telling yourself you can't do something, look at it through the million dollar question lens. Do you think you could do it now? I thought you could. If the million dollar proposition really doesn't set well, you could insert anything into the same slot. How about this one? What if I could have one hour with my mother who passed away years ago? Could I finish that marathon then? I bet I could run through a brick wall at the finish line for that one. Maybe you have another substitute question you could use. How about another hypothetical? What if every time you shared Jesus with someone, God came down from heaven, gave you a high five, and said, well done? Imagine he does that even in those times when you're completely rejected. How many times a day would you be sharing Jesus with others? Well, God isn't going to stand in front of us and give us a high five, at least not physically. But doesn't he do it in spirit? Don't we believe that the Holy Spirit overwhelms us in those moments when we're obedient to God? Well, we say we do. I want you to understand that I have just stomped on my own toes so hard it may be difficult to run today. But if we truly believe in the power of God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus' story and its ability to change the world, why are we not sharing it daily some people do not like hypothetical questions, but they can be awfully powerful. And asking them often reveals how we truly think. If you can make that open water swim with a million dollars on the line, then you can make that open water swim. If you could share Jesus with everyone around you, if God came and thanked you in person, then you can share Jesus with everyone around you. The difference is that no one is going to offer you a million dollars to swim. But God is going to be thankful for your willingness to be obedient to his call. And there you have it. The top 10 Dean's Thought Stories of the year. Thank you so much for indulging me on this endeavor. I may have skipped your favorite. These are just mine, right? Uh, but isn't that what makes our world so wonderful that we're all different? <laughs> There's a lot of beauty in that realization, isn't there? At the same time, we are all created in God's image, and we should all be working to reflect that image to the world. And if we can do that, the world would change overnight, wouldn't it? Happy New Year to all. May God bless every step of 2024 for you and your family. Go out there and shine your light. For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.